Turn with me to Isaiah 55. Normally I'm waiting for all the kids to leave and go to uh, children's church, and I don't have that pause uh, here. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, You shall call a nation you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. (coughs) For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. A word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we need it. We especially need it now. Thank you for giving us the scriptures and making us your people. Once again, we've come to your word, and we find ourselves in a passage that some of us have often quoted, but rarely studied. So once again, We thank you for this prophet, for this extraordinary word you gave him to preach to those facing exile. Give us hearts and minds to believe and understand all that you have written and put into practice in our lives. Help us to know you better and to love you more through Isaiah 55. And so we pray, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. For in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Last month, an amazing thing happened at the Dairy Queen in Brainerd, Minnesota. I don't know where Brainerd, Minnesota is, but uh, amazing things happen there. And on Thursday, December 3rd, a man decided to pay for the order of the person in the car behind him at the drive-thru at the Dairy Queen. And the store manager, a woman named Tina Jensen, 
said after the first man paid for someone else's order, she told the next person in line what he'd done. She said, a lady pulled up, and I said, just to let you know, the gentleman in front of you paid for your order. If you would like, I can pay it forward, and you can pay for the order of the car behind you, and we can keep this going. And she's like, really, why would he do that? And I said, we just have it every once in a while where someone will take care of the person behind them, and today's your lucky day. So she paid for the person behind her, and it continued from there, car after car, hour after hour. The store began updating their fans on Facebook. They went from 48 cars to 150 cars to more than 275 cars. And that night when they closed, they posted, we're still going strong. Over 275 cars have paid it forward. If we can keep it going like this, we'll be opening tomorrow with money forward. Way to go, DQ fans. And so the next day, the store posted in the morning, uh, or during the day, it said the power of one small act yesterday during lunch continued throughout the night. Every fan for the remainder of the day paid it forward, resulting in over 280 cars. The night ended with $10 being paid forward, and we'll continue making memories and start out paying it forward today. We're all in this together, one red spoon at a time. Dairy Queen uses red spoons. That one small act of kindness of this one man continued to be paid forward for two and a half days with over 900 drivers taking part. As that noted, theologian John Krasinski says, we can use some good news. Perhaps such a thing has happened to you. We have a number of specialty coffee lovers in the house. Occasionally one of you will mention pulling up to the drive through window only to discover the person in the car in front of you has already paid for your order. I'd like, how many of you has that happened to? It'd be great if I could see you raise your hands, uh, but I can't. So I assume that's happened to some of you. And I think it's great when it does happen. I mean, there's still a transaction. There's still a price to be paid, but not by you. You buy without money and without price. So here's the point, and I hope by now it's clear. The gospel's not free. Pardon is not free. But the Lord Jesus Christ, God has already paid in advance through Jesus in full at the cross in the suffering of his son. He's purchased everything your soul needs. And it's free to you now because it's cost him everything. The spiritual junk food in which we spend our labor trying to glut the hungers in our souls, that's going to cost us. But the prophet Isaiah says in the first verse of our text today, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Spiritual maturity is based first and foremost on the conviction that God has spoken to us and he's used words as the means of this powerful and effective verbal communication from the Lord. Our active and creative God has chosen to use words and to accomplish his purposes through words. Confidence in the power of God's words is fundamental to spiritual maturity. If God's words are powerful and effective, then we have to hear them. Our focus here is on the power of God's word to create and sustain believers. It's a crucial message from the Old Testament 
that Christ applied to himself in the desert when he was tempted to turn stones into bread. Matthew 4.4, 4, taken from Deuteronomy 1.12. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Spiritual maturity means hearing words that have come from the mouth of God. Now, if you think about it, we have a moral duty to pay attention to the words of others, to discipline our hearing, our concentration, so we not only hear the words, but we listen for the meaning in order to understand the significance of the words uh, to the person who's speaking them. And that takes love and patience and humility, especially when we have to admit that we've misheard or we've misunderstood what they've said or that we didn't hear them at all because we simply weren't paying attention. Well, if you think about that, we owe the same duty to God, if not more so. See, in your relationships, the longer you've known someone, the more attentively uh, that you've listened to them in the past, the more patience and love you have for them, the more likely you are to understand the meaning of their words uh, to us today. It's the same thing with God. Of course, we can get it wrong. We can be deaf to what God says uh, to us in the scriptures. We can misunderstand. We can misconstrue God's meaning. But the fact that we may misunderstand doesn't mean that we can never understand. It is not only our duty, it should be a joy to hear, receive, and obey the words that God has spoken to us through uh, Scripture so that God accomplishes His good purpose in and through our lives. Knowing the powerful word of the Lord is key to increasing spiritual maturity. It's also key to the book of Isaiah, and it's especially clear here in Isaiah 55. We derive our spiritual maturity from the Bible. And Isaiah 55 is a notable source for telling us that. And there's a pattern in this chapter, and I think it matches the pattern for our spiritual growth. And it begins with an invitation. Look at verses 1 through 3. An invitation. If you're following along in the outline, that would be the first blank um, there. It says, verses 1 through 3, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So this chapter begins with the gracious invitation of God to come, and specifically to come to him. This invitation expresses God's plan to draw his people out of exile in Babylon and bring them back to Jerusalem. So here's the first principle of spiritual maturity. We come to God in response to his gracious invitation to come and listen to him. And the invitation to come uh, to God, it lies at the heart of spiritual maturity. It's an invitation for a relationship with God. It's an invitation to move towards God. If you think about it, it's actually echoed in the call of Christ in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a gracious invitation to come, and it's gracious because it's addressed to everyone who thirsts those who are aware of their need and have no resources, he who has 
no money. Come, buy and eat. God's taking the initiative in this gracious invitation. People don't deserve God's uh, grace. It's a free gift. And notice it's a verbal invitation. How do you know to come unless you hear the word of God through the prophet Isaiah? And come means to listen diligently uh, to me, to incline your ear, to hear that your soul may live. They have to listen to God in order to hear his invitation and to hear his promise. How else will they know they're going to leave Babylon under the protection of God if they don't hear him? How else do we know to turn to God, to come to God, unless we hear and listen to the words of God? The invitation to come is an invitation to listen. No coming without listening, no listening without coming. And this invitation is graciously given in words through the prophet Isaiah. Building a relationship with God through the attentive listening to God's words given through the prophet is fundamental to the spiritual life of his people. And it was true then and it's true now. It's true for us. So what's the basis of this gracious invitation? Do we have a reason for it? And that's the second point, a reason, verses 3 through 5. And the reason for this invitation is the promise of God that he will accomplish his covenant with David, starting at the second half of verse 3. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that, you, that did not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God's made irrevocable promises to David. And as he keeps these promises, Israel can participate in the blessings. As David experienced God's steadfast, sure love, so Israel can experience God's steadfast, sure love. However, David's long gone now. And it looks as if God's promises to David have failed. There's no descendant of David ruling in Jerusalem. The nations have triumphed over Israel. They're about to triumph over Judah. And yet the covenant promise of God would still be fulfilled. And that word of promise spoken to David so many years ago still remains as the basis for the return of the people of God to Jerusalem and for the fulfillment of God's plan to bring the nations so they see the future splendor of God among his people. So here's the second principle of spiritual maturity. God's invitation is not a last-minute invention, a spur-of-the-moment idea. It's based on God's covenant, which he originally promised to David, and which would be finally fulfilled in the coming Christ. So God's promise to David was fulfilled in God's word to his people in Isaiah 55, and would be finally fulfilled in the coming of Christ. The invitation to come to God and his people's leaving Babylon and coming to Jerusalem is based on the promise of God, the character of God, the work of God, the power of God to use people to achieve his will, and on his forgiveness through the saving work of his servant. What God's words achieve in his people, his words achieve for his people. Let me say that again. What God's words achieve in his people, his words achieve 
for his people. The great promise of God uh, here in Isaiah is to bring his people back to Jerusalem. And they're going to benefit from God's work as they respond to his invitation, uh, his present invitation, based on his past promises. They're summoned by God's verbal revelation. The invitation to come and listen is based on God's ancient covenant, promised to David, recorded in the scriptures, and which God now promises to fulfill in the life of God's people. What God promised in the past, he'd fulfill in the present and fulfill in final form in the future. It all sounds good. And actually, it all sounds a little too easy. And it was. Because as God's about to point out, there's a big problem here. It's a big problem. We have an invitation and a reason, but we have a problem. Look at verses 6 through 9. <coughs> it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, the problem is the people of God had heard God's gracious words before in his promises to David, and yet they disobeyed him. And they had turned away from God. So to the words, come and listen, the prophet adds, seek, forsake wicked and unrighteous ways. It's an essential element of spiritual maturity. To come is to listen, and those who come and listen have to seek, forsake, and turn from wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. Any attempt to respond to God's invitation to come and listen has to face this vast gap between the thoughts and ways of God and the thoughts and ways of unrighteous man. Sin is the enemy of spiritual maturity, just as surely as immaturity is a sign of our sin. The people of God are in exile. Others are headed for exile because of their sinfulness, sins of failing to hear and obey God's words given in the Law and the Prophets. And we read about that, 2 Chronicles 36. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. So coming and listening isn't as easy as it sounds. And the pattern in the past has been to mock and despise and scoff at God's word, and God's prophets. You cannot come and listen unless we also seek him and forsake our wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts and return to the Lord. And verse 7 makes it clear that the wicked and unrighteous are those in Israel who judge the Lord by the standards of their own experience. And so they mistrust him. It's a rebuke of very weak faith among those who've professed to be part of his covenant people. It's a call for the people to change their weak faith into a strong faith and to have confidence in what God says. 
They should abandon their thoughts, pessimism and skepticism and weak faith, which are unrighteous, and abandon their ways where they're resigned to exile and disobedient to the covenant, which it says here is wicked. But not only abandon their thoughts and ways, but repent. Repentance is integral to our relationship with God while we're in this present evil age. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, there is no cheap grace. No coming and listening without forsaking our ways and turning from those ways to God. And we have to know how big this problem is. It's immense. There's a great gulf between our thoughts and actions and God's thoughts and actions. Look again at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Through the prophet, God carefully mentions his own thoughts and ways before the thoughts and ways of the people. It's because God's thoughts and ways set the standard for us. We should think uh, God's thoughts after him and follow his ways. His thoughts and ways come first. <coughs> but there's this great gulf, this vast gap between God and us. And it's no wonder that Israel found it difficult to come and to listen to God. And it's no wonder that we find it difficult to come and listen to God. It's not enough to forsake wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. The people then and now must return to the Lord in order to find compassion and pardon. So here's the third principle of spiritual immaturity, namely our inability to bridge this immense gap on our own. I mean, essentially, how do we reach God? How can this great gulf between God's thoughts and ways and our thoughts and ways be bridged? How can we hear, how can we come and listen and hear God when his thoughts and ways are in heaven and our thoughts and ways are earthbound and sinful? So the great dilemma of our attempts at spiritual maturity, our attempts to draw near to God, because we can't climb from earth to heaven. And we can't move from our thoughts and ways to God's thoughts and ways by our own effort. We can't achieve it even by repentance and good works, or by intellect or reason or intuition or mystical experiences or even common sense. So how then can the gulf be bridged? We need to find a solution. Look at verses 10 and 11 and a solution. It says there, starting at verse 10, for the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's the word of God that bridges the gap between divine and human reality, between heaven and earth, between God's thoughts and our thoughts, between God's ways and our ways. It goes out from God's mouth to accomplish that which I purpose. It's as powerful, effective, and fruitful as the rain and snow that come down from heaven and water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Back in verse 9, the concern was of the distance between heaven and earth, between God and his people. And that gap exists, not just because people are people, not because we're human, 
but because we're wicked and unrighteous. Our problem is not our humanity, it's our depravity. It's not our humanity that's the barrier to spiritual maturity, but our sin. We've abandoned God's thoughts and ways for our own thoughts and ways, and that's moved us far from God. And so actually it should be a joyful thing. It should bring forth joy that God himself bridges this immense gap between his thoughts and ways and our thoughts and ways by his word, by telling us what his thoughts and ways are. Furthermore, the parallel between the rain bringing life in verse 10 and the word bringing life in verse 11 is clearly intentional. The word of God is the unfailing agent of the will of God. The effects of God's words are reflected in this comparison between rain and snow and the word of God. So let's look at that. The rain and snow come down from heaven, verse 10. So does my word that goes out from my mouth, verse 11. The rain and snow do not return without watering the earth, verse 10. So my word shall not return to me empty, verse 11. The rain and snow not only water the earth, but do so purposefully and effectively, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 10. So God's word achieves all that he attends. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Verse 11. It's a clear parallel between these two verses. And this is the fourth principle of spiritual maturity. The Word of God not only communicates the reality that God's people are far from God, but it brings about a change in that reality as God brings His people to repentance when they hear and obey His words of invitation and covenant promise. God's Word bridges the gap. One commentator said, God has come near His people not only in the work of the servant that's been predicted, but also in the preaching of the prophet throughout the book. Is because what God says is the truth that the word will perform exactly what God intends. Notice also the power of the word of God and how it's asserted both negatively and positively. Negatively, it shall not return to me empty. And positively, it shall accomplish uh, that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is never ineffective. It is always effective. And it's never powerless. It's always powerful. The word of God is the means by which God draws near to his people and makes his salvation effective in our lives. Now, that's not a new thing. The Bible has said that in other places. Long before Isaiah, Moses told the people in Deuteronomy 30 that God's word is not in heaven, that you shall uh, say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. It's already here. And then long after Isaiah, the Apostle Paul wrote, Romans 10, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. God graciously bridges that immense gap between heaven and earth by his word, which comes from heaven to earth and always accomplishes his purposes. When you read the Bible, when you sit under the preaching of God's word, God is bridging that vast gap to meet you. And as the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, so the word of God will not fail. Christ has overcome sin and given us confident access to God the Father. That's what our theme verse for this whole January series uh, tells us. That's what it's all about. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. True spiritual maturity is founded on that grace in which we stand in Christ Jesus. And then finally, we're given another promise. A promise that the solution, God's word accomplishing God's purpose in our lives, will be effective in solving our problem of being separated from God by our sin. Why have such a promise? Look at verses 12 through 13. A promise. We have such a promise because God's word is not ineffective or powerless, but effective and powerful. So the power of the word of God is of central importance. I've said to you for years that the word of God is powerful in and of itself. Look at it here in Isaiah 55. It's an invitation that comes in the form of words, verses 1 through 3. It's effective because it's based on the hope of an everlasting covenant, covenant made with King David, verses 3 through 5. It's effective because God's people come, listen, seek, call on him, forsake their wicked ways, and turn to a compassionate and pardoning God, verses 6 and 7. It's effective even though the minds and hearts of the people are far away from God's mind and heart, verses 8 and 9. And it's effective because God's word doesn't return empty, but accomplishes God's purpose of bringing his people to receive all that God offers, verses 10 and 11. And it's effective because the results of God's promise and God's word and the results of the people's repentance are foretold by God in a powerful promise of abundant joy and peace. What's waiting for you if you respond to his invitation to come? Suppose you've been wandering away from Jesus and he's calling you back this morning. Suppose you've never really come to him. You just want the rest of us to think you have. But today, this morning, at last, you finally have. You're returning to the Lord and listening to his word. What's the consequence of returning to Christ going to be? Those consequences are found in this powerful promise of abundant joy and peace. Verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And then we get these picturesque examples. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it will make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Furthermore, the word of God comes to his people then and now from the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. God not only stoops to use human words, but to have them heard and read from the mouth and pen of the prophet. It's actually the double condensation of God, this overwhelming grace of God. He not only uses human words, but he places them in human mouths that humans can hear, trust, and know him in a saving act, in his saving acts. Same theme, the power of the Word of God is found back in Isaiah 40, which we looked at last week. There the invitation was found in God's Word to comfort, to speak, to cry, and proclaim. The basis for that message of comfort, you can trust God's Word. Isaiah 46 through 8, For through all flesh is grass, and surely the people are grass. Then we read, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. This theme of the fruitful power of God's word is common throughout the Bible. For the word and the gospel of God is effective and powerful and fruitful. 
Look at Colossians 1, verses 5 and 6. Of this, the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Or how about 1 Peter 1.23? You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Or James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's the fifth principle of spiritual maturity. God's words are effective, powerful, and fruitful. The great Puritan Thomas Cranmer uh, reminds us of the power of scriptures. He wrote this, The words of Holy Scripture are called the words of everlasting life, for they are God's instruments ordained for the same purpose. They have power to turn through God's promise and they are effectual through God's assistance and being received in a faithful heart, they have a heavenly spiritual working in them. Even John Calvin has written, God is true not only because he's prepared to stand faithfully to his promises, because he really fulfills what he declares, for he so speaks, his command becomes reality. So then, let's wrap it all up. What have we learned about spiritual maturity from Isaiah 55? And obviously, from my earlier remarks, I think this is the great need of the day. Well, first, we come to God in response to his gracious invitation to come and listen to his words. Second, the reason for the invitation to come and listen is based on God's covenant promises recorded in the scriptures. Third, our problem with this is that our thoughts and ways are far removed from God's thoughts and ways because of our sinfulness. Fourth, God provides a solution to our problem. God's word comes from heaven to earth. It never fails. It always achieves its purposes in our lives, primarily by leading us to faith and repentance. And then finally, fifth, God promises that his words are effective and powerful and fruitful and will produce an abundant harvest of joy and peace, sometimes in this life, surely in the next one. And so for Christians now, it's important to remember that God's words through Isaiah remain his powerful words today. God's words in the mouth of his prophet and in his writings are still powerful and effective. The same words remain powerful in our lives and in our mouths as we use them to challenge, to encourage, to rebuke others, whether believers or not yet believers. These words remain the living and active words of God. As the Apostle Peter teaches, quoting Isaiah 40, uh, 1 Peter 1, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's words, given through his prophet, written down for his people in Isaiah's time, are also written down and preserved for us. Romans 15, for whatever was written in former days, was written for our instruction. That through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So having said all of that, we have to ask, why now? Why does Isaiah end this poetic song that he started back in Isaiah 40 
with this call to having confidence in God's word as the means to spiritual maturity. It doesn't come out of nowhere. See, the previous chapter, Isaiah 54, is about God's covenant with his people and changing their lives and reversing their difficult situations. If you look at that chapter, there's a barren woman rejoicing over her children. There's a lonely wife comforted by her husband. And there's a poor city that's made beautiful with costly jewels. And so if you want to see your difficult situation reversed, Isaiah 54 logically flows in Isaiah's 55's call to return to the Lord. But both chapters, Isaiah 54 and 55, are designed to spell out the consequences of Isaiah 53. And you know chapter 53 focuses on the work of God's suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the written word bridges the gap between God and man in Isaiah, so the incarnate word bridges the gap between God and man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That has meaning that the word became flesh. The gospel offers satisfaction, rest, pardon, growth, and spiritual maturity for free, without money and without price. Stop running after what you can only find in Jesus. That's Isaiah's ultimate argument. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's an invitation to move towards God. It's echoed in the call of Christ, Matthew 11, as I've already read, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's repeated again at the very end of the Bible. When the Bible's coming to a close and God's gracious invitation is thrown out as widely as it could be to all men and women and children everywhere, the language it uses comes right out of Isaiah 55. Find it in Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Revelation is clearly meant for everyone. It's not just for Jews or Greeks or Americans or whites or blacks or Asians or Hispanics or Africans. It's for everyone. And so I can say with great confidence that you've been included all the way through in Isaiah 55. And if you've called on the Lord and turned from your sin and drunk from the water of life, this final uh, promise is for you too. You've been looking everywhere else, some of you, pursuing everything else, and nothing else satisfies. Only Jesus. Come to him. It's a free offer. And who's invited to come? What does the text say? Come, everyone who thirsts. Isaiah's not saying that only the thirsty are allowed to come. He's saying that everyone is thirsty whether you realize it or not. The prophet is telling us that all sinners have a right to come. All sinners are entitled to come. All sinners are invited to come. So are you a sinner? Put your hand up if you're not included in that category of human being, of sinner. Hopefully none of you put your hands up but I can't see. However, if you are a sinner, then you have a right. You're entitled. You're invited. You must come 
to Christ. Come and eat, come and drink, come and be satisfied, come and rest, come and live. I wonder how many of you have ever heard of the story of Shrek the Sheep. Shrek the Sheep, yes, named after the uh, movie character. I mean, seriously, you can look them up. It's a true story. Shrek the Sheep was a Merino sheep from New Zealand. Became famous for managing to escape his annual shearing by running and hiding out in caves. And he did it for six years in a row. Was determined, apparently, to avoid his shepherds. And he was quite successful at it. Although they say he must have been miserable as a result. See, the average Merino sheep's fleece weighs about 10 pounds. And when they finally caught Shrek and uh, got to shear uh, him and take off his fleece, this gigantic fleece, which hadn't been uh, sheared for six years, weighed 10 times what the normal one was. They said it had enough wool to make 20 men's suits. Friends, if you've been avoiding Jesus, the good shepherd, the weight you are carrying is intolerable. And he says to you this morning, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't it time to get rid of your burden? Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Won't you do that? Take a moment to do that now, to call upon the Lord. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son, Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior. Thank you for these words of Isaiah. We are a people who need to respond to your gracious invitation to come and listen to your word. We are a people who need to know that your reason for this invitation is based on the covenant promises you've made with your people. Covenant promises which still apply to us today. We're people who need to come to you in repentance because our thoughts and ways are far away from your thoughts and ways. And despite our sinfulness, your word comes down from heaven to earth and always accomplishes your purposes in our lives. And it does so because of your promise that your words are effective, powerful, and fruitful. And when we believe and obey them, they'll produce an abundant harvest of joy and peace in our lives. Lord, I can't think of much more than we need right now than joy and peace. So help us to believe your promises. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Help us to have real confidence in your word in the midst of this chaotic new year. For we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.